Uh, today's the last of uh, our sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount. Can you believe? Here we are. And it's been a long summer, a lot of teaching. Today's the 13th message on the Sermon on the Mount. We've taken our time. We've, we've dug through it, um, which next week, the next two weeks, by the way, leading up to Back to Church Sunday, you for sure will want to be here. Next week, we have Steve and Amanda Pettit going to be with us. They're going to talk to us about uh, safe families, or not safe families, um, the Rescue Hill, which is our human trafficking partner, to tell us a little bit about what's going on with them, ways that we can get involved, ways we can help. And then the week after that, we've got Lori Key coming, who's going to talk to us about safe families, which is the, um, the way that we can help get involved in families' lives. At our church, we don't, I don't feel like we need to reinvent every wheel, but there are people already doing terrific ministry that we can partner with. And I want our church to be, in, be able to be involved in the lives of kids that need help or moms that need help or families that need help or women who are being trafficked or kids who are being labor trafficked. Like there's, there's a big world out there. And anyway, so the next two weeks they're going to be coming. If you're interested in those things, then be here for that. So today uh, we're going to finish it up. And I don't know if you remember way back when we started this thing, it started by me asking, what is church all about? Why are we even having church? What are we doing here? Uh, I found out today that, um, well, over the weekend, Sreece and I are talking about uh, we're going through Ephesians in Sunday school, and 81% of people feel like you can be a good Christian and not go to church. Well, that makes me as a pastor wonder, well, what am I doing? What are we doing? How do we um, do church? What is church all about? And so I felt very strongly that Jesus, that God was leading me to this Sermon on the Mount that Jesus preached to help answer the question about what we as a church are doing. And to be honest, I don't even like the word church because church isn't even a word that was, is found in the scripture in the original language. The word used, and I've talked about this before, the church comes from the German word Kirche, which somehow found its way into, you know, into the scripture has become tradition for us now, but the regular word ecclesia, it means a gathering of people with a similar purpose. And when Jesus said, I will build my church, he actually said, I will build my ecclesia, which is a gathering of people with a similar purpose. He never used the word church. And so for us, we've got to figure out what does this gathering mean? How can we as a gathering of people help each other? What are we supposed to do? How do we move forward? So as Jesus wraps up this sermon, we're going to go through that today. He talks about the importance of listening to his words. He continues his theme of two things. You guys remember it's been last week. It was two things. It reminds me of, I don't know if any of you guys remember um, the movie. What was it called? It had Curly, uh, movie, City on the City Slickers. Remember that? City Slickers and Curly would say, it's one thing. Do y'all remember that? No. All right. Well, if you happen to see City Slickers again, Curly, and there's always talking about the one thing. Jesus reminds me of that here. He says, like, there's two things. We talked about the idea of two gates. You remember that? Uh, two roads as well as two different types of trees. And so today, Jesus kind of wraps things up and he talks about two types of people. And then he concludes with a promise and a warning. And that's how we'll end today. Um, but, but two types of people. So we're going to read today in Matthew chapter 7. And if you want to follow along in the notes for today's message, you can get the church's app. Um, we were really promoting that church app. I'm really proud of our podcast, by the way. Uh, Bruno, um, yeah, Bruno and, and Michael every week go through the time to make the, the podcast and to make the, the videos so you can share that teaching. But uh, in the app are the notes for today's message. We're going to start Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 through 29. So here we go. Therefore, 
Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does, and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. So this is a, a really thing, interesting thing, something that we've all heard before. Um, I don't know if y'all remember, I remember growing up and our kids would sing the song about the wise man who built his house on the rock and the rains came down. Y'all remember that? Yeah, okay, so we would sing that song. I'm not gonna sing it for you here. And the rains came down and, and the water came up and it washed away the foundation of the one who wasn't strong. So here we go. Living is building. We may think we can avoid making a building, but you should know that living is building. Every person today is building a house. Every person. Everybody's building a house. I'm building a house. You're building a house. You may not be outside physically with hammer and nail. Maybe you are. That might be your profession. But the truth is that we're all building a house. And our house is the result of our life's work. What we do in life, how we live in life, how we treat people in life, what you do when you leave here today, all of the things are building your house. Everything that you do and say, the way that you act, it all is building your house. Some houses are, are feeble and slight structures like a shanty. Some houses are nice and spacious mansions, gorgeous. We have to remember that whatever we build, it is that that we must dwell. We can't get away from the results of our life's work. You're just not going to get away from it. The, and, and your life's work is either going to become a shelter to protect us or a ruin to fall around us. And, and that's the ultimate point today. We're building a house just by living our life. And so the type of house we build is what Jesus is referencing today. The second point is this, and there's only four today, so we're on to number two. The security of a building is determined by how solid the foundation is. How solid is your foundation? And that's what Jesus is talking about. So to give you a little background, Jesus' imagery would have really been easy for them to understand because uh, where Jesus was from in the town of Nazareth, it's built on a cleft in the hills. So people would have on the clefts of these rocks built houses on the rock and that would have been an imagery they understood and so where Jesus is now is a town or is by a town called Gennesaret and you can look it up and Gennesaret has a character that's similar to what Jesus was referencing his his foundation and a foundation of rock and Jesus would have understood what he's talking about. I don't know if you knew this, but some recent scholarship has come out that um, we've always talked about Jesus as a carpenter. And for us, a carpenter is hammer and nails, right? And um, wood. But 
recently they've been digging into the past and Jesus time period and found that for them, a uh, carpenter was somebody who worked with stone and rocks as well. So they would have understood and he would have understood what he was talking about. So um, not only was it similar where they were at in the background, but the clay where they were at was known in the region to be worthless clay. Um, people, they would try to make jars of clay and pots and different things with the clay, and they, they just wouldn't last any time. They would fall apart. So if you were to try to make bricks out of this clay and, and make your foundation on that, then that also would have been something that would crumble. And so Jesus is making a reference to them that for us, we understand the reference, but for them, it would have been what they were living in the day. For us, it, it might have been something about uh, somebody in West Texas that built, or West Texas, we're not in the West, but uh, somebody who builds in Texas in this part on clay will understand that your foundation might be in peril right? Because our dirt shifts and it moves and it cracks and people have made all kinds of living on correcting foundation issues and things like that. And we've learned that we have to keep water around them. And so Jesus might have talked about, it's like somebody who built their foundation on the clay and didn't care for the clay around them. Like that's one kind of foundation or somebody who built a proper foundation and has piers down into bedrock. That's the other kind of foundation. So he was really trying to speak to the language that they were talking about. They would have been familiar with what was going on. They would have been familiar with the building concepts, familiar with the idea of, of having a single rock to build your foundation on or a bunch of smaller bricks that were made out of um, clay to build your foundation on. And if the foundation is rotten, then there's no way your house is going to stand because the greater the building, the more insecure it will be. So somebody might have built a, a foundation on a, what they thought was good. And the first person you can imagine that came in and, and built the, the clay bricks and, and laid out the foundation. And they're like, man, I got this great foundation, built a big house on it. And it was, it was good while everything was, was good. You know, there's no rain. Everything's great. And the, you can imagine the first few people without the engineering that we have today, they would have been like, yeah, this is good. Look at my house. And then it rains and their house just crumbles. And the bigger the house, the more in peril that house is. People think in our lifetime that they might reach the goal without ever going through the straight gate that we've been talking about. They think that they might um, complete the house without getting a foundation. And some of you know people who have built this marvelous house of life. But what is the foundation? What did they build that on? And some of you have seen these people with marvelous foundations on a house that was just not a, a very good foundation. And trouble in life comes and things happen and the foundation crumbles and everything around them just goes away. Like we, we can understand that. We should understand that Jesus isn't speaking about, and this is another interesting point because I grew up hearing this, but this isn't what Jesus says. Jesus doesn't say, I am the foundation. Now we believe that Jesus is a, is a foundation for us. Don't get me wrong. But that's not what he's saying here. Jesus is saying that what I'm saying, the words that I'm saying, this is your foundation. If you live in obedience to the things I'm telling you, then your foundation is going to be strong. That's what Jesus is saying. All right, the third thing is this. The foundation will be tested. The foundation 
will be tested. Initially, everything looks good, right? I can tell you a story. When I was a kid, this is so funny. We were just dumb sometimes. I don't know if you guys ever felt the same way. Not about me, but about yourself. Because <laughs> you didn't know me when I was a kid. We might not be friends if you knew me when I was a kid. So when I was a kid, we, I was 10 years old, Caden's age. And me and some buddies, five or six of us, the trailer park that I grew up in, right outside of it was a field like this out here. Now the dirt in West Texas is different. It's, um, it's a little sandier uh, and, and rocky, I guess would be the best to describe it. So we thought, you know what would be a great idea? We don't have material to build ourselves like a clubhouse, so let's dig one. Everybody brought their shovels and we dug an underground clubhouse. My mom's here today. She probably didn't even know we did that. We dug an underground clubhouse. I mean, and it wasn't a one-day affair, believe me. So I would dig some, and somebody else would dig some, and, and like we would go home, and it, over several weeks we dug, and you could go down into this thing, man, and you could get like four or five of us down in there, and we thought this was the best thing that we'd ever done. But we were dumb because the foundation, the dirt, was just not meant for that kind of construction. We showed up one day and it had collapsed. And I remember getting a little nervous or scared that time because that could have been us inside there when that thing collapsed. The foundation is so important. Our lives depend on the foundation that we're building. The house on sand stands there and it looks good and it looks solid and, and that hole, it looks great, man. It was a great looking hole. You know why I did that? Because I didn't have an iPad to play on. So, so I was out riding my bike and digging holes, man. That's why I let my kids play on iPads because I don't want them to go dig a hole that they can. Just looking at the foundation, or, or I mean at the, the house, you wouldn't be able to distinguish one from the next. But the foundational test is coming. The rainy season comes and, and torrents occur and the water comes from the mountain and, and sweeps loose the soil and the rocks and the wind and the rain ravage everything and the water comes up. I don't know if you've been involved in a flood before. We have. And the floods, man, they're powerful. It's unbelievable what water can do. There's a hurricane right now headed for uh, Louisiana. I don't know if you've noticed that, which, by the way, um, I lead the disaster relief coordination effort for our area. And um, I'll put, I'm going to put out a a thing this week about that. If you want to help when the disaster comes, let me know. But it's, it's an incredible force, man. Water is. And, and the, the, the foundation of your life is going to be tested because trouble's going to come. Things are going to happen. Trouble is the test of a professing Christian. Remember that. That's tweetable. Trouble is the test of a Christian's life. Not that God brings trouble to us, but trouble's going to find you. Trouble's going to find me. What happens to us when the trouble comes? What are we doing when the trouble comes? Is our foundation going to crumble? Is it going to go away? Or did we build our house on something solid that's going to stand the test of time? Jesus is explaining to us how we can build that. And here he said, the solid foundation, he says, is obedience. 
somebody, some listening to this parable might assume that Jesus is saying he's the foundation, but as you examine it, he's saying that's not true. And, and there are truths that he is the foundation. If you read 1 Corinthians 3.11, it talks about that. But Jesus is saying obedience is the rock. He says in verse 26, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. Everyone who hears these words and does not put them into practice. So what's our foundation? It's putting the words of Christ into practice. All else is useless if we're not putting the words into practice. James 2.17 says, faith without works is dead. You've heard that before. If you have faith, but you're not putting it into practice, then it's a dead faith. You can say, I have faith, but treat your neighbor horribly, then faith without works is dead. But if you have faith and you put that into practice and you love people and you welcome people and you do things for people because the love of Christ compels you, that's good, right? Why do we do that? Because the love of Christ compels you, compels me to want to be better, to want to do better to have the foundation that he's talking about. The only living faith in Christ is faith which proves it exists, producing the fruit of the Spirit. So how do we know what it is? The result of our life is the fruit of the Spirit. Are the fruits of the Spirit on display? And just so we're all clear, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The fruits of the Spirit. Does your life show the fruits of the Spirit? And, and that's how we know. What's your foundation? What are the fruits? Verse 28. When Jesus had finished saying these things, this is our promise and warning, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. What I mean is we have the promise of love and direction and all that we need by Christ, who's speaking like somebody who wrote the law. Does that make sense? He's coming at it because we're talking about Christ. This is an interesting dynamic that, that God has created because quickly, the, the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, right? We believe that. God is the Father, is the Godhead. We believe in that. He sent his son Jesus Christ to die on the cross, showed us what love is. And the Holy Spirit is who communicates that love to us. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So when Jesus, though, and Scripture teaches this, when he came to heaven, he set his divinity aside is the way it's taught to us. He, he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped is what verbatim the scripture says. So that means he was like us, but he was sourced by the spirit. He came to teach us how to live enabled by the spirit. And so when he says, when he teaches as one who has authority and not like the teachers of the law, we believe and know that God is the one who inspired Moses and the others to write the law, right? So 
he's speaking like somebody who wrote the law with authority, not just about the law, which is what the other teachers did. That's why they were surprised. This guy teaches like somebody who has authority. Here's the thing. You, by the power of the Holy Spirit, have the same authority that Jesus had. You are sourced, if you have allowed the Holy Spirit to invade your life, you are sourced by him and can speak to people with the same authority. It's interesting. It takes away all excuses. When somebody says, well, I'm not Jesus. No, that's true. Jesus was only human too. No, he was God. That's true. But by the miracle of the manifest Christ, he set his divinity aside and he was sourced by the Spirit. And he said, this is how you do it. It's crazy, right? Man, that gets deep. But if you will allow the Holy Spirit to source you, then you can speak with the same authority. You have the same authority. The problem is that we don't build our foundation on what he is saying are the words, doing the words that he says, putting them into practice. We don't do that. So our life doesn't show all of the fruits, maybe some. But the Spirit is at work in you now what I was teaching the kids this morning with the poppet. The Spirit is at work in you now, restoring you to the image of Christ. That's crazy. That is what spiritual formation is. Did you know that? We talk about spiritual formation. Spiritual formation is being conformed to the image of Christ for the sake of others. Conformed to the image of Christ for the sake of others. So when we're pursuing the Holy Spirit, we are being conformed into his likeness. And that's the magic of being, and I'm not talking about, please don't write or send emails because I'm not talking about magic like what you're thinking. I'm talking about the, how do we describe it? This is something crazy. This is something like the Holy Spirit is enabling me to be more and do more than I ever thought. And it's not by magic. It's by the power of the Holy Spirit living in you. Man, that's good. Like we, we need to get, you know, it's okay if you want to amen it or hallelujah or raise your hand. Like we're good. They, they thank you. They call that, you know, help me out. <laughs> Can I get a witness? Because we're talking about good stuff. The Holy Spirit wants to do something in you that you can't even imagine that he wants to do. All right, so what's Jesus trying to tell us? And this is where we're closing. The, the whole sermon, and it's interesting when you break Jesus' Sermon on the Mount into pieces. Here's what it is. First, he shows us what he expects from people who call themselves Christ followers, the way we should behave. Like if, if we broke it, this down into four points, that's what it is. The, how does he expect us to act? Being humble, being loving, being peaceful. Oh, that sounds like the fruits of the Spirit. It is. That's what he expects of us. Then the second point is he explained that he didn't come to abolish the law. Remember that? But how to fulfill it. How can we pursue righteousness? How can we be more righteous? How do we raise the bar? So he expects a certain, he expects us to have the fruits of the spirit, to behave a certain way. And out of that behavior, we raise the bar in our righteousness because we draw so close to Jesus that we can do more than we ever thought possible. We can be more than we should be. The third point is, he said we should not be boastful in our giving. 
We should not be boastful in our praying. We should not be boastful in our fasting. We just shouldn't be boastful people. And then he brings it all home by talking to us about the two ways. Hope you never, when you think of the Sermon on the Mount, I want you to always remember the two ways. You got two ways, two things, two ways to choose, two roads, two gates, two types of trees, one that bears fruit, one that doesn't, two types of people, two types of foundation. Like it's, it's a choice. It's an either or. That's all it is. It's either or. Either this or this. There's no middle road. And if you go out and build in your house, this big, beautiful house, without the foundation, then it's going to crumble. So what do we learn about church? 13 weeks. What have we learned about church? I think it can be summed up nicely saying that if we aren't producing fruit, then we aren't the followers that Jesus planned for us to be. That's hard because we should all go through a, a self-reflection. That's why I love Psalm 139. Search in me and find, this is David praying to God, find ways in me that are not pleasing to you. Find in me ways that are not pleasing to you. God, would you make the fruits of the Spirit evident in my life? Would you help me out? I think the church is a place and the word church we need to replace with gathering. This gathering of, of Christians is a place for us to come and help each other grow, to help each other follow Christ, to hold each other accountable, so much so that we get to the place that we invite people, that we're proud of who we are, that we're proud of what we have going on here, and that people want to be a part because they see the changed lives. They see the fruits of the Spirit. They see Jesus at work in me. They understand now what it means to be conformed to the image of Christ for the sake of others. It's not for me to make me feel better. It's so that other people can be influenced by Jesus. So the band's going to come. We're going to sing a song as a closing, but I just hope it's always weird for me wrapping up a, a series, especially one as long as this. What are we going to take away from this? How are we going to become the church that God wants us to be? I think we need to begin to pray for the fruits of the Spirit to be evident in us and all the things happen. We act, we, be, we exhibit the behaviors that Jesus wants. We are showing the fruits of the Spirit. We make the right decisions when there's a two-way choice. It all comes because we're filled by the Spirit. So that's what I hope. And I hope that for you guys. Let's be a church. This is what I want for us. I want us to be a church that the unchurched love to attend. Because here's a place of peace. Here's a place of love. Here's a place of acceptance. You know how many people aren't accepted in their day-to-day -day lives? Church should be the safest place for somebody who's unchurched to come. The absolute safest place. And as they come to Jesus, God's going to hold them to account. It's not our job to hold them to account. It's our job to show them the way of Jesus, to love them, and to teach them. And God's going to convict. And then we can help lead the way, right? Anyway, that's what I want for us. That's what I hope for us. And if we're not at work doing that, then what do we do? 
God, this morning I am so grateful for what you've done in my life. Jesus.